Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is the Find Your Form podcast, where we aim to seek out inspiring individuals with motivating stories in hopes that they can provide others with inspiration and motivation as well. I'm your host, Jake Wells, and this is episode three. My guest today is an off-road triathlon legend. He won a world championship in 2015. He has 13 national titles. He's an endurance coach, father of three. I consider him a good friend. Please welcome Josiah Middaw. All right, Josiah, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Yeah, just down the road. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so did you know that there's a Wikipedia page? I had no idea. <laughs> I, and I, was, I, so I pulled it up. I, I'm not, I wasn't surprised. Like, oh, Josiah made a you know, Wikipedia page, and then um, I click on it, and it's like, why? I can't understand anything that it says. And it's, so it's all in German. <laughs> and so is I was it, like, oh, I'm just on the wrong link. Is it like, accurate? Well, I don't know. <laughs> See, my, my kids aren't allowed to reference uh, Wikipedia when they do their school papers. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because it's inaccurate oftentimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I couldn't read it. So it could be completely inaccurate. <laughs> um, so how many days out from world championships are you? I think we're about 10 days out. So a week yeah. and a half. Yeah, the 27th. Great. A week from Sunday. Yeah. How are you feeling? Uh, it, feeling pretty good. This is going to be kind of an odd year. My preparation has been a little different than other years. Um, right. Usually I'm trying to nail a, a really good 12 to 16 weeks, really just focusing on that one race. And this year, um, you know, decided to, to race, uh, some really long races and, uh, do things a little bit differently. And, yeah. um, so it'll, it's more about kind of getting back to some normal training and then um, kind of leaving that option open for success, but not knowing for sure how it's going to go. Yeah. How, how much, um, how much time since you, cause you just got back from uh, eco challenge in Fiji, right? Yes. So eco challenge um, started on September 10th. Um, and so I think I have about five weeks in between, um, but it was, more like two weeks to kind of recover I bet. and then two weeks just to get back to normal training. So it's not about putting in a really heavy high intensity block. It's more about just getting back to some high intensity training and really consistent training. Right. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your, um, I mean, guys currently how many national championships do you have? For, I don't know for sure, but I 13 a, or so. Yeah, 12 or 13 uh, is what I could find. Something like that. <laughs> for Xterra, for, for off-road Xterra. triathlon. Yep. Right. And for then the Xterra, yeah. na, you know, point series national champion. Okay. And world champion in 2015? 2015. Great. Um, but you started off as a runner, right? Yes. So that was my background uh, through, I mean, since age 11, I guess, but, you know, dabbled in a lot of different sports, uh, baseball, basketball. Um, but towards the end of high school, really started to specialize and ended up running uh, cross-country, mm -hmm. indoor track, outdoor track at Central Michigan University. Great. And then, so how did you transfer from that over to yeah, so, Mountain Bike or Xterra? Okay, we're going way back. So, <laughs> yeah, 2000. So this is, this is my story. I Graduated college, got married to Ingrid, and moved out to Vail for an internship all 
within the span of about a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, so did a, a fit to, fitness internship at the Vail Cascade. And just, I mean, you know the culture here and probably the reason you're here too. You'd, I, I showed up in June and I would look out the window and I'd see people running by, people biking by, and it was just a totally different experience for me. I'm used to being the, the only guy, you know, within five, six mile radius that runs down the road, you know, yeah. and so... Yeah. Um, it was just infectious and I bought a mountain bike from the pawn shop, raced the, the Vail Ultra right. uh, 100 like two weeks later, <laughs> learned a lot. <laughs> uh, but no, my, my whole thing was picking up, you know, one sport at a time and um, with the running background, the triathlon was, it, it kind of found me more than uh -huh. the other way around. Right. Why did you decide to move to Vail? Like, is that just like a a classifieds ad that you like, Hey, let's, yeah. So it was, I mean, 90, 99 looking online mm -hmm. for any post postings for a fitness internship. There were pretty few, you know, there'd be a couple in each state and something popped up Vail, Colorado. Yeah. Um, so I applied, got accepted and but thought, never wow, been. that no, it was just a, a place on the map. I'd never been to Colorado. Wow. Yeah, but I was definitely drawn to the mountains. Uh, you know, sure. I, I grew up in northern Michigan and, you know, would save up for a, a ski pass every year. And I would snowboard at Boyne Mountain. Yeah. Um, it was right down the road. Used to work as a lift operator, a parking lot attendant, you know, checking tickets and working on the golf course in the summer. And yeah. so to, to be able to check out Colorado was uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, I think that's, um, you know, the story of so many athletes they they find colorado and then they just never leave you know maybe you come for the winter and stay for the summers right that's the kind of the cliche is yeah and it was kind of the other way around for me since i yeah. came for the summer and it was amazing unbelievable experience and that was you know the three-month internship was up and the original plan was go back to school but yeah we had to experience a winter here you know right. we came came so far <laughs> need to see what the what all the hype was about. Sure. And, and then once we stayed, we were, we were stuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of similar scenario. I actually came, um, and yeah, came for the summer, made it through the winter, you know, growing up in Arkansas, like I wasn't used to, I wasn't used <laughs> to survive the but, winter. Right. Um, not the big skier in Arkansas. <laughs> water skiing was the thing. It was definitely, it was not snow skiing. Um, but then did you, I mean, do you feel like the altitude, like the, cause we're at about 7,000 feet, 7,500 feet. Do you feel like that is ideal? Cause I mean, I know that Boulder is kind of like the Boulder and Durango have kind of become and the maybe go-to places for endurance athletes to train because it's sure. a little yeah. lower altitude, right? Yeah. I mean, I think there's, there's benefits and challenges to wherever you are, uh, mm -hmm. for sure. And, um, you know, originally being a, a student of, exercise science, you know, the studying altitude training. And that was one thing that I was really fascinated with. And, you know, at 8,000 feet in Vail, like that's, uh, that's still considered a moderate altitude when they, from the, the physiologist standpoint. But then, you know, when you talk to endurance athletes, the problem with some of the Olympic sports is having the speed and power that you could at sea level. So it's right. starting to get kind of high for that. Uh, but I really think for the sport that I do, so for off-road triathlon, for Xterra's, um, you're, you're not matching the kind of speeds that, you know, say a, a 5K track runner 
would be running. Um, and the mountain bike is more of a time trial. It's not like a, the power you need in like a short track race or even a modern cross country race. It's, right. it's more of a, you know, hanging out at that threshold power and you're going up and down hills. So when you look at, you know, the average times for like the 10 K it's, you know, 10 K trail run, we're not breaking any world records. So I really think for my sport, it's a huge benefit. Yeah. So how me. long is that? Like what's, what's your like, a typical Xterra length is how long? Um, usually somewhere around two hours, 30 minutes, uh, for a top time okay. at, at some of the, the championship races, mm-hmm. three hours would be on the long side. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, you know, it's similar to, um, you know, similar to like a marathon or, um, you know, even some of the longer cross country races that you'd see. So it's, it's long enough where you're, you can go real hard, but you can also bonk and pay the price. I yeah, think it's a, it's a good it. range where you can really, you have to go fast, but you have to have the endurance. You have to have nutrition, everything kind of factors into it. Yeah. The pacing element. Yeah. So wh- how does that break down? Like typically on a swim, that's how long is a swim? Yeah. So wise? swim and or distance and time. Yeah. So distance. So 1500 meter swim, it's, Point nine three miles, um, but they they call that the metric mile, the fifteen hundred meters. Mm-hmm. So open water swim, top guys will be breaking twenty minutes. Um, twenty minutes would be a really good wetsuit swim for me. Without a wetsuit, I might be twenty one, twenty two minutes. Come out of the water, buoyancy in the wetsuit. Yeah, yeah, wetsuit for me it's it's two minutes um, faster oh, with wow. a wetsuit. Wow, I didn't realize. Yeah, that for sure. And for a really good swimmer, it it won't won't be as much of a benefit. Um, but then, so, so time-wise, swim is the shortest by far. Um, but the way the sport has evolved, now all of the top guys are front pack swimmers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's made it really challenging for me in the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Swimming is um, not your strong point. Swimming is not my strong point. <laughs> Steve's surprised. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the way it breaks down, Xterra, it's pretty bike heavy. And so yeah. onto the bike, depends on how fast you are, but it's somewhere around 60, 65% of the race is on the bike. So generally it's 30 kilometers. World championships is a little bit longer, mm-hmm. uh, more like 20 miles, 21 miles um, for the bike. And it's very similar to a cross country race. So it's um, over 3000 feet of climbing, somewhere around there. Yeah. So time-wise, somewhere around hour 30, a longer race might be hour 45 on the bike. So very bike heavy and then 10 K trail run. So that might just be, you know, 10% longer than a, than a road 10 K. Um, but it could be 20% longer. So it could be a, you know, 35, 36 minute run, or it could be 45, 50 minute run if it's a really technical and really challenging course. Yeah. If the weather turns like it, like it has in the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, you get, sloppy mud and lots of elevation gain uh, it's pretty amazing how slow you can go <laughs> and still be quote-unquote running <laughs> right right um so because you've found you know xterra right and that was when i mean i remember whenever xterra like it was there was a nissan xterra right and that was the the truck that they kind of branded they yes. co-branded this event exactly right? so yeah nissan licensed the name from xterra okay so the sport had the name first got it was branded by nissan but yeah. everybody knows it from nissan really yeah 
made the name widely known and still if when you google it nissan xterra you know still pops up for sure and, it's, and that was early 2000s for you when you got into that yeah i started in 2000 um racing xterra and xterra has only been around since 96 yeah oh wow and so did you have a background in road triathlon uh, very I mean, you sound brief. like you just started riding bikes and like very right before. Brief. Yeah. So right when I moved out here, 2000, yeah, I, I mean, I, I bought a road bike when I was in college and, you yeah. know, commuted to work sure. you know, yeah. <laughs> in the summer. That's about it. Um, so there was a Le Monde, uh, beautiful <laughs> bike, still have it. Ingrid's a big fan of that bike. Uh, <laughs> nice steel. Yeah. Tour Malay. Very nice. <laughs> <laughs> But no, so I, I pretty much picked up cycling when I moved to Colorado yeah. and that's, um, where it kind of all took off for me. And from the running background, I, I kind of left, a, I would say an unfulfilled collegiate running career, had a knee surgery in college and was injured, redshirted, mm-hmm. pretty much was out for two out of the four years left at four, didn't use my redshirt year. And so it was, a yeah, it's kind of a, a couple blinks in that college career is over and for a lot of people that's you know the end of their sporting career and I felt like I still had more to prove to myself or or more to discover about myself Mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's why you decided to kind of was I mean was it the competitive side of it that you missed or that you wanted to maintain or was it uh, just kind of pushing yourself your, your personal limits more the second, more personal limits. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that competitiveness, um, you know, is something that, you know, so a lot of people have, and, um, I think it's good to nurture that competitive drive. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's something that I'll always have, I think. Um, but it's, it was more about finding, you know, some of those limits. Um, and I, I think that an endurance athlete, there's people that, you know, respond very quickly and people that respond very slowly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always joke that I was a late bloomer, mm-hmm. but I think it's just more my trajectory was, was very slow. And so it took me a long time to reach my potential mm-hmm. where some people, you know, right away are, you know, breaking records on the track or, you know, these high school phenoms and, and they, it doesn't mean they can't keep getting better, but uh, I think mine was just a little more of a slow burn. Well, and I think that, you know, I have a very similar path as well. Like I was a runner and then, you know, moved out here and got into cycling. But, and like you were saying, like what, after college, you don't, there's really, as a runner though, at the time, you know, you could go on and run for like certain track clubs if you wanted to, if you had the ability to get to like Oregon or, I mean, I was in Missouri, so I probably could have gone to Fayetteville and, and been on the Arkansas track club, you know, right, but right. Um, but like post-collegiate career, like there really wasn't much of an option, you know, I mean, marathoning was a thing, but it wasn't like, yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, you could hit like the local road race scene and right. You know, maybe 5k, 10k, you know, get a couple hundred bucks here and there or something, but, uh, you know, my abilities as a runner, um, you know, they, I wouldn't say they were maxed out at all, but, um, I was not like a standout collegiate mm-hmm. All-American like some of my teammates were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just always thought if there were some other sports involved, <laughs> um, yeah. that, you know, I felt like I was, you know, strong enough to 
to do more and to be more as an athlete than just a runner. Right. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, now with the, all the ultra endurance stuff really getting a lot more, well, I mean, there's events, there's a lot more events out there that you can do as like a, you know, ultra endurance trail runner. I mean, the Moab 240, those kind of things are like, that's like the new marathon, you know, I mean, like a hundred miles <laughs> yeah, is no like sex. nothing for, for these people, you know, um, oh, it's, it blows my mind. You know, I did a 50 K last year for the first time. Um, and you know, so about 30 miles and it was the longest I've ever run. And I was like, I could not imagine taking <laughs> another step, much less like 20 more miles or, you know, someone asked me to pace them for the, be a pacer for the hundred in Leadville the run. Yeah. That's no interest in doing any of that, you know? <laughs> well, Pacer, um, you only have to go like 12 miles. Is that right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> as soon as they said level 100 run, I just said no. Well, um, no, I, and I've always tried to, and that, that's what's challenging is, is keeping as narrow of a focus as I can, because I am drawn to, so I, many I mean, things. I want to try everything. I want to sure. do everything. Yeah. And it just, it just doesn't work. Right. Right. So, you know, that's always a challenge trying to pull in the reins a little bit. Okay. Okay. Stay focused. Like what, right. how much training time do you have? What's right. realistic to, you know, do you want to be at a really high level yeah. or do you want to just go do stuff and sure. nothing wrong with that. Um, right. but you know, trying to make a living as a professional athlete, you got to stay focused. If you want to be one of the best, you have to you know, put more eggs in one basket and narrow that focus and, and right. see how good you can get. So on that note, like as far as your, I mean, you said your swim is definitely not your strong point. What, what have you done to bring that up to become more efficient? Like what is the difference between the guys that are coming out of the water first and where you are? And we all know you're, it's not a, I wouldn't <laughs> think it's a fitness thing, right? Or a strength thing. Oh no, no. It's, no, and swimming is, I mean, it's 90% efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and there are rare cases where somebody can learn as an adult and get to a pretty high level, but it's kind of like a, a skier or a golfer. I mean, when something is requires so much skill and you don't have those, you're, I'm basically missing all of my developmental years swimming. And I've been swimming, you know, looking back, I you know, no good excuses because I've been swimming for, you know, almost 20 years now. Yeah. <laughs> um, so as far as yardage, as far as, you know, time spent swimming, I have as much as, you know, any, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old collegiate standout, I've got plenty of yards under my belt, but it's, you know, missing that time with coach on the deck, single sport focus for a long period of time. Yeah. And that's, it's just something that's hard to do when you're training for three sports Yeah, and right. not living in a, sim, a swimming community. Um, there's not really an option for, you know, a coach on the deck for an adult swimmer that, sure. you know, wants to be a great triathlete. Yeah. I mean, you could go spend some time like a, a mini camp or something with someone, a coach, but you need yeah. more just consistent. Yeah. And, and every year and I've done lots of variations of that, you yeah. know, lots of stroke analysis, one-on-one -on -one stuff where I'll travel to Arizona and travel mm -hmm. to the front range, you know, seek out the best coaches and nothing against any of those coaches. It was just, you know, you need somebody that is going to be with you consistently 
day in, day out. And yeah. that's something that you can't really yeah. reproduce Someone here. Will come and here. I'm, I'm just not willing to, you know, uproot my family and go, you know, selfishly pursue, uh, <laughs> you know, something just uh, for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, do you think that that's really the big thing that you've noticed in the last five years, six years, as far as the competitiveness at the top of the sport is that that are people that are already have that background in swimming are finding Xterra or is it something that they're coming over from road try or is it something that they're training? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's been the evolution of sport and I would say it happened a lot earlier than that. So, and triathlon itself is, you know, it started in early eighties basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it hasn't been around that long, but now when you look at all the top ITU athletes, um, Xterra athletes, and even Ironman professionals, when you ask them what their background is, it used to be, oh, I was a swimmer, you know, growing up, or I was a runner growing up and transitioned to triathlon as an adult. Now, you know, most of the professionals have a background in triathlon. So they, they say, I grew up doing triathlon. I did my first triathlon when I was six years old, when I was 10 years old, when I was 12 years old. Right. And so they've been on that track for a long time. And so what I've seen um, crossing over to the sport of Xterra, even though it's really bike heavy, you know, it used to be that maybe a, a third of that pro field, 50% of that pro field didn't have any swimming background. They're strong mm-hmm. mountain bikers or strong runners um, or strong swimmers. And they, um, you know, had that single sport focus, but now, um, and, and mainly because of the Olympics, because of the ITU Olympic format mm-hmm. of triathlon, a lot of those top athletes now are coming over from ITU, a lot of Olympians, a lot of former ITU racers. And so really strong swimming background. Yeah. Well, it seems like, I guess what you're saying, like the, it's generational, like now we're in this like second generation of maybe even starting third generation of ex-terra athletes or, or triathletes. And mm. so, you know, they are coming into the sport as of, with the triathlon focus of being good at all three. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, and every athlete has their strengths and weaknesses, but swimming, swimming is not one of them. When you look at, um, you know, even just looking at the top 10 from the last right. few years, there's, it's very rare now to have somebody coming out of the water two or three minutes behind. So mm-hmm. when it used to be like, well, I'm, you know, I'm three minutes behind, but I've got, you know, three or four guys with me or behind me that are still racing for the top five. Now I'm coming out two or three minutes behind and like I'm by myself <laughs> and the race <laughs> is getting away from me. Right. And there's, you know, 15 guys up the road that are all racing each other while I'm trying to catch up. So right. it's a lot more like doing a, you know, a really hard cross country mountain bike race where the gun goes off and then you wait two minutes. <laughs> so it's a pretty hard way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Given those guys a head start, it's probably not ideal. Right? <laughs> like you wouldn't think that. Um, Cause I mean, I was assuming that they're top level standalone mountain bikers, right? Like they're. Yeah. So when you look at um, somebody like Ruben Rizafa from mm-hmm. Spain, who's um, won the XTR world championship multiple yeah. times, he came to Xterra from a World Cup mountain bike background. I mean, right. he was an Olympian mountain biker. He was six-time Spanish national champion mountain biker. And he came into the sport and won the world championship his first try. 
um, without a good swim. But since then, like now he's a front pack swimmer. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. So that's, so that's kind of the level of the field. So you got a front pack swimmer, world cup mountain biker. That's a lot of time yeah. um, to be given up now. So. Right. Well, but does, didn't he have a little bit of a gray cloud over his career? Is there, <laughs> isn't there some doping stuff going? Like, isn't that why he stopped racing mountain bikes? Was he on a ban? Um, I don't know, and I don't know enough about it to, to really speculate on that. Okay. Um, I thought that's what I had read was that he was. But he, so Michael Weiss served, uh, he won the world championship, Xterra World Championship 2011 and served a two-year ban starting a month after he won. He was under investigation when he won uh-huh. the world championship and then served a ban. Okay. And uh, Ruben Ruzafa started um, racing about the same time. But um, if there was anything that was served, it was a closed, uh, oh, sealed um, deal. deal. So, <laughs> but well, and that's what I don't I know mean, enough that was about it. Right in the, <laughs> the heat of all that. I mean, like, not to say that, cycling is hundred percent clean now, but, um, but I know that, you know, you think about the, the mid two thousands, right. Mountain bike, especially on the road. I mean, we all heard about everything that was going on on the road scene a little bit more than we did on the mountain bike scene, but that was like the, some of the peak of doping scandals and, and programs for athletes. So, yeah. And unfortunately, um, I mean, Xterra, you know, it doesn't have the, you know, one thing that can keep some of the dopers out of it is that there's not a ton of money to be made, right? There's sure. only a, it's feast or famine. If you're in the top three, you can make a living doing it, but otherwise forget about it. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, there, unfortunately it did become a little bit of a haven for, for some dopers or some ex dopers. Yeah. Um, just with pretty lax drug testing and, uh, and just the way triathlon is, is kind of accepting of, um, people, you know, that maybe they already served a suspension they're coming over to kind of reinvent themselves as a triathlete right. when they used to be a cyclist or right. yeah. cycling, cycling. So. <laughs> That's the dirty cyclist. <laughs> so, I mean, is there a protocol? Is there USADA or WADA protocol in Xterra? Like, is there a dope, is there a testing pool, like out of competition? Yeah. I mean, all those athletes are in the, the same testing pool yeah. water I mean, are you in a out of are you in an out of competition testing? um i had been for almost 10 years yeah and then i just got a letter about a year ago said you no longer need to tell us your whereabouts so oh, wow. i guess i'm just too old or so, yeah no but basically it was the <laughs> it was mainly triggered from the itu world championship and racing uh-huh. that is how i got put onto the oh uh, competition right. testing list. so it's more for and that's yeah. road. Yeah. And same with, so Xterra used to, um, test top three at all the championships, world championships, U S national championships, but it wasn't Xterra doing the testing. It was USADA. Right. Um, and you know, when funding dries up, they go away and you know, it's not in it's expensive. anybody else's, you know, not that it's not in their interest, but it's not something they it's have budgeted for, you know, right. it's not a priority. And so that's unfortunate, but a lot of the athletes that do race, they might be part of their national testing pool. They might be part of WADA testing pool. Yeah. Uh, but they might not. Also, it just depends on yeah. if they're flying under the radar or, or not. Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, we see that now with like a lot of the, um, 
these non-sanctioned cycling events, right? Like, yeah. you know, a lot of the gravel events that are really starting to get more and more popular, you know, and they're now putting cash behind some of those finishes. You know, you have either people that are currently banned, um, but it, they can go and compete because they're not, yeah. it's not a sanctioned event or, you know, previously banned. Um, so, yeah, you know, so that's a lot more, even more problematic. You know, X, Xterra off-road triathlon, they, like ITU World Championships falls under the umbrella of ITU. They always test it. That event. Yeah. Xterra falls under the umbrella of USA Triathlon. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, all of their events are sanctioned by USA Triathlon. So you couldn't have you know, anybody that's sanctioned serving a violation or something. They would not be allowed to race. Oh. Um, but it's kind of wild west for a lot of the unsanctioned, unsanctioned mountain bike races, yeah. gravel races. Right. It's what race director's discretion. Or <laughs> yeah. And sometimes they'll put in there like in their bylaws or, or, you know, race Bible or whatever that says like, you know, if you're currently doing a ban, like don't show up, don't show yeah. up or they're following a, the WADA. Right. Yeah. Guidelines or yeah. Whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't know, man. That's a, it's a, <laughs> I mean, you and I have talked about it before about, um, you know, just, I think you and I are on the same page with doping and, um, in sport. And, and then, you know, you see these people that kind of falsely created this, um, persona or this, you know, um, these results essentially that got them to a level, you know, got them certain level of recognition or, or, um, sponsorships or, you know, partnerships and those kind of things. And, and you see that, and then you see them, step away from the sport either on their own accord or because they've been, you know, required to, and then they still are able to, you know, kind of capitalize on the fact that on their name, you know, that they built essentially falsely. Right. I mean, as far as like coaches, I mean, we're both coaches and you know, (laughs) like that was one of the things that the, the steamboat gravel race was, there was a guy that was there that's, you know, admitted, doping to doping and throughout his career has done his quote unquote ban out of competition, te- you know, ban. And then, um, now as a coaching company, he's no longer racing professionally, but he now has a coaching company yeah. and he's up there racing, kind of representing the coaching company. And <laughs> you know, I was like, man, this yeah. is just, this is just odd. I mean, it's odd to me that they, that they're even kind of invited into those mm-hmm. events, but also like, um, as an athlete, is that the coach you would seek out to work with? You know, someone that, yeah. Well, and that's, what's, um, kind of sad how the public opinion, uh, you know, forgiving people is, is one thing. And that's, sure. that's, you know, anybody's decision to do, but yeah, like wh- when public opinion shifts on that or, you know, all of a sudden somebody's, I don't, you know, you, it's kind of a, a breakdown of, morals ethics right Uh, no matter how you look at it and one of the things I decided really early on in my career is just you know this has been for me it's been a you know a pursuit to see what kind of potential that you know I have inside me what level I can get to Um, and I didn't ever want to leave the sport being really bitter about it right Um, and I don't you know, consider myself the most talented person out there. So I don't assume 
if somebody beats me, throws down a good performance that they're a doper, I think, you know, my initial reaction is, wow, that's an impressive result. And, um, how did they get to that level? You know, and I, um, maybe naively give people the benefit of the doubt, maybe a little more than I should. Um, but at the end of the day, like it's been a, you know, not, you know, doing things the right way, you know, not doping, not doing any kind of performance enhancing thing other than getting out there and training, um, is, you know, it's been a personal decision uh, of mine. And if somebody else can live with themselves and, and do something like that, that taints themselves in the sports, that's their personal decision. And I'm going to, you know, regardless at the end of the day, I'm going to throw it down with anybody who's in the race and do the best that I can. Right. Um, and, and just not leave the sport that way, thinking that everybody else was doing, yeah. doing the wrong thing. And I was the only one that was clean and sure didn't want to end up being that guy either. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of setting yourself up for, you know, to be jaded about, yeah, the sport, you're just a right? disgruntled right. former racer. then, right? right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's, um, you know, you can't concern yourself with it really. Like it's energy that's not really well spent, you know? Yeah, and that's that the thing. I mean, I had else. somebody, you know, that said to me one time, like looking over the past, 15 years of Xterra, you know, and seeing me in the top three in a, in a lot of those races and saying, Oh, you know, if we took out all the dopers, how many of these world championships would you have won? Yeah. And that was when I was like, Oh, shoot, <laughs> that's, I don't want to think about, like, I don't want to spend energy thinking about that. And, right. and yeah, maybe, and, and I do see how people like, Oh, you know, they've maybe have robbed me of some of my livelihood, some of my earning potential, some of my, you know, whatever, no notoriety or fame or whatever. Um, but at the end of the day, that's not what, why I, um, pursued the sport in the first place. And, and so try not to get too caught up in that. Yeah. And so you coach yourself, is that right? I mean, I I know we've, you've gone and gone back and forth with having working with coach and then being self-coached. Yeah. I've been mostly self-coached for a majority of my career. So how does that work as far as, um, you know, working with athletes as a coach, right? And you see you're helping them achieve their potential, right? By kind of, um, and I don't know how your coaching style is per se, but you know, you're prescribing something specific and then kind of holding their feet to the fire a little bit. Like, Hey, you know, are you following the plan or not? You know? (laughs) And so if you don't have that, I mean, is that all just within you to, times and I think that's um that's been a challenge it's not something that I would necessarily recommend I think that it's great for even if you are a coach to to have a coach Mm -hmm. um but yeah one of the the problems with that is um sometimes my own training is last priority so when it comes to you know planning and scheduling my training I'm the last one on the list that, that gets taken care of sure um when it comes to the, the planning and the strategizing, but when it comes to the day in, day out, getting the stuff done, then yeah. I do put it as a, as a high priority. Right. You know? Yeah. And at this point, you know what has worked well, right? For you, like you've been to the top, so you know what it takes to get there and what the demands are. So, yeah. And, and that said, I, I, you can't just, um, you know, kind of, cut and paste, um, sure. what, what, you know, even what worked 
really well for me in 2015 um, when I won the world championship. You know, it's not necessarily the thing that's going to get me back to that level, right. partly because the sport's evolving, but also, um, you know, you, you just can't always do the same thing and expect the same results. So I do think, you know, having some outside influence is really important and trying some new things. And for myself, sometimes I'm um, the first guinea pig when it comes to, you know, trying to apply some some sports science to um, training. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I've kind of used myself a lot of times to try something new, which I think has been really important for, for me and for my athletes to, to not always just try doing the same thing over and over again. Well, right. And then to be able to speak honestly and, and speak to the nature of a, of a workout, you know, and say, yeah, I've tried this workout. I've done this workout and it's super hard. Mm -hmm. And here's what I noticed when I, you know, (laughs) when I went through it. So just so you know where we're going with this, like to be able to talk to the client and, and let them yeah. know like, Hey, here's, here's the workout. It's going to be super hard. It's going to crush you, but you know, just get done what you can. And then we're going to take that information and revamp and then, you know, come up with it. Uh, we'll do it again in a, in a week or 10 days. And then we'll be a little further down the road. I think that's super valuable, you know, to be able yeah. to, I mean, to me, that's the big difference between like purchasing an online program, you know, just kind of a general, you know, whatever, 10 week, 12 week build that, you know, is going to help you do your, everything looks easier on paper. And as you know, and so having some, you know, coming, coming to it with some personal experience, I think is really valuable because any coach can destroy an athlete, you know, and it's, I'd go back to my you know, exercise physiology lab when, you know, you volunteer to do the VO2 max test and like, Oh yeah, I can, I'll, I'll beat that treadmill. And the, mm. you know, the instructor's like, uh, you can't beat the treadmill. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, got some news for you. You right. know, we'll put that up at 10% grade, 10 miles an hour. And you're not going to last very long, you know? Right. And so, I mean, anybody can write something that's super challenging and that's, that's not what it's about. It's, you know, getting the appropriate load to get some adaptation and to, improve. And I think having some history of, of trying some things that maybe were a little too much sure. <laughs> um, and pushing the envelope on it and then kind of scaling that for athletes with different experience levels, I think right. it's really important. Well, trial and error, right? Like on your side, you know, as the athlete and, and figuring out like when you work, maybe overcooked or overtrained or, um, you know, maybe a little bit, um, carrying too much load. And then, you know, so, but, but because it is so individual, you know, like working with athletes and figuring out what their ability to handle workload is and where they perform best. Cause some people perform better under a higher training, like overall training stress versus others. Right. And that's something that, yeah, can take a little bit of time to figure out, but, um, there are some, most things are not black and white when it comes to training. Right. Um, but then, you know, knowing, some things that maybe are that you're like, okay, like this is a bad idea. Like, okay, we're, you know, we're seven days out from the world championship and that workout is not going to work, you know, and that's right. And you just see that over and over again. And, um, it's usually a lack of confidence, you know, with an athlete or, uh, you know, trying to do that last top off workout and just that's where experience comes in. Like, Hey, you got to, chill out. You can't do that back off here. Right. And I think that's what I found with working with different athletes as well is that, you know, you, you create this rapport, but you also understand you, you need to have that like 
feeling out period, you know? I mean, I think some of the most success that I've seen working with athletes has come in the third or fourth season of working with them, you know? And I think that so many times um, athletes get to a point and they're like, okay, I'm taking this pretty serious. I am seeing some potential here and I want to maximize that. So the next logical step is I'm going to get a coach and start working with someone or maybe a friend suggests it or whatever. And then I think they come in a lot of times maybe expecting too much too soon. You know what I mean? Like they're going to, okay, I have a coach, so I want to see results (laughs) like within, you know, even this season, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. And hopefully you can show some, you know, positive results, but that's the, yeah. And And maybe it's society, how they are now, but yeah, I had, you know, an athlete say, Oh, I've been doing exactly what you told me to do to the T for the last four weeks. And I'm expecting some really big results Mm -hmm. and like, okay, well, (laughs) you know, what about the last four years, you know, like, okay, you just started in January, you know, we've been working together for, you know, eight weeks, six weeks. Like let's have some realistic expectations here. You know, it's essentially one block. Yeah. And it's almost like it's, layers right lots of layers and so you you can take an athlete with no background no experience and you know you give them just a little bit more volume they get a little bit better Mm -hmm. okay well now now we're gonna go let's bring in a little bit of intensity like now but then what do you you know fast forward what if you have a an athlete with lots of years and experience like now how are we going to structure that high end you know that and periodize the the high intensity training and try to get a little bit more out of them and that's when it gets really interesting, as you know. And, right. And yeah, and sometimes that's not in the first season. Right. You know, it's, it's yeah. more about establishing consistency and good habits. And, and hopefully you're seeing good progress with that. But it might not be what people expect, you know, when they, sure. they're coming off the couch and want to qualify for the Hawaii Ironman, you know. <laughs> right. Like it's, but maybe they're learning. Hopefully they're learning through that process maybe where they are. <laughs> and where they want to go and what it's going to take to get there. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that that's what, you know, people will seek out from someone like you specifically, you know, someone that has gone through that process and knows, you know, what it takes, what, what type of workouts, what type of, um, how much training load and, and just a realistic view of how long it's going to take you to even get to where you could complete something like that or, have a result or qualify. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I would say, you know, a lot of the people that are looking for those instant results, that's not, that's not all the athletes that I'm coaching. And there's people on the other side of it too, that say, Hey, you know, I'm, you know, I've been doing some 10 K's and do you think I could do a half marathon, you know, next year? Yeah. And you might be like, no, you could do a half marathon tomorrow. Like you're ready. Like, yeah. And some people need, a little bit more of a nudge and like, no, you're stronger than you think you are, you know? Right. And so, yeah, you get the whole spectrum of people, but that's when it's, that's what's so fun about individualized coaching. One-on-one coaching is, is getting to know somebody and, and, and hopefully getting them to learn a little bit about what they're capable of, I think. Right. Yeah. And I think that to be able to be in part of that journey, you know, to, to, play a role in that vision quest, I guess, you know, that these athletes have of figuring out 
who they are as an athlete and, and where they're, you know, where they end up going, you know, because I think sometimes you have athletes that come in that say, yeah, this is what I want to train for, you know, a half marathon or a, in my case, you know, a lot of times it's, I want to train for, you know, a 50 mile mountain bike race or something like that, you know, and yeah. then they're like, all right, this is this, I have this specific race picked out. So we kind of get ready for that. And then they find something completely different, you know, and they're like, oh right. yeah, the 50 mile race is great, but actually mm-hmm. I want to do, you know, this 120 mile gravel ride or, right, right. you know, maybe get in a cyclocross or something like that, yeah. you know, and then they end up kind of blossoming into this complete different athlete than they were when they first came in with their kind of, right. Yeah, and probably discovering that with yourself too. Right? <laughs> oh yeah. Well, and that's what, like, what you were saying. Case, right? What you were saying earlier about, um, you know, being an elite athlete. You know, that's trying to make a living at the sport and and staying very focused on what you're doing and what your where your efforts need to be and the type of um, events you want to go do. There's all these like you know bright shiny things out there trying yeah. to distract <laughs> you and pull you one way or the other and like oh yeah. that looks cool like i should go try that out i want to see that you know what what that's like um and that like for me i've kind of stepped away from that world you know a little bit like in the last couple of years and been able to kind of give myself permission to go and do some of these events that i've been kind of putting off for for a while right you know and um so i'm not racing at the elite level with in cross and um you know like fully committed to a mountain bike season and those kind of things, which is, um, it's a little bit double edged, you know, like you, yeah. I feel like, um, you still want to be able to compete as well as you have, but I know I'm not putting in the time that I was, you know, four yeah. years ago, three years ago. So not um, putting in the time, but doing events that are way longer than you've ever done before. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's, I mean, maybe not putting in the focus that I was right. before. Right. So, yeah. yeah. But I think that's what's exciting when you have somebody, you know, with a decade or more of experience, yeah. well, then a lot of doors open up because really that you're capable of completing just about any endurance event that's out there mm-hmm. and, and you know what it takes to do it. Maybe you're not, you know, competing for, you know, the podium of every single event that right. you do, but you know that you're, you could you can make a 90 degree turn and go do something that is a little, you know, a little bit more distant from your specialty, but still be able to do it because you have this residual base and speed and power and everything to draw from. Yeah. Uh, I think it's pretty exciting. Yeah. And I think there's, um, you know, to me, that's what, that was what was really driving things was like just being able to go and do something that's out of, out of the comfort zone, you know, and, and kind of completely, out of my wheelhouse or, or just even like world of, of reality, you know, like this is, this is something that I could, I know I could do. Like, you know, if you're like, Hey, go do a half marathon. Like, I know I could do that. Right. Like kind of not off the couch, but right. you know, but tomorrow, like I could go do a half marathon, you know, and be fine. But <laughs> to go and do something like DKXL, like that was something that was completely foreign to me, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, so I think that, to me, that's what kind of keeps me motivated to to keep looking at these different events, and and I don't feel like it always has to be bigger and better. It's just right. something that's exciting, you know, and, and motivating. So, you know, I think that um, because you've had such longevity in this sport, 
you know, in Xterra and, and, and triathlon. And you've had injuries in the past, right? Where you've had to take some forced time down and yeah, off the bike absolutely. and stuff. Like what, what is it that really, is there something specific that you can point to that really you draw on for motivation and, and inspiration to keep at it or? Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I have had five knee surgeries, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, haven't had, a an injury free, uh, career for sure, but I've had yeah. a good, a good run in the last several years um, where I've been really healthy and, you know, crossing the 40 mark, um, with, you know, a good bill of health and, and feeling like my body is in a, a better place than I was in my early twenties. Um, yeah. I'm still excited to, to still push my limits with the, the highest level of, you know, the sport of off-road triathlon. Um, I'm definitely tempted by the, those <laughs> bright, shiny things sure. with, uh, with other sports. And, um, I'm still going to try to push some of those off a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, and not to say that I won't try some new things next season. Um, but I want to stay focused on kind of, uh, within that scope of off-road triathlon, what will help me the most, you know, that something in that two, three hour range, being able to yeah. push, push that distance real well. Um, still needs to align with your number. Yeah. Something that aligns with that. And it doesn't mean I couldn't, you know, do some, some trail racing, um, like running, um, obstacle course racing or, um, some other variation of triathlon. Um, but I'd like to stay focused on that as best I can. (laughs) So did you have five surgeries on the same knee? No, both knees. Um, it's really like three major problems. I had uh-huh. Osgood Schlatter in college that I had a surgery on. I had a broken kneecap um, that I had two surgeries on. I remember and when then that happened. I had uh, IT band friction Lengthening. syndrome that I had right. uh, two surgeries on also. Okay. So, wow. Yeah, so, and different knees. Um, Okay. Yeah. I remember <laughs> when you, broke I don't your... have three knees. But <laughs> I, had... <laughs> I remember when you broke your kneecap, man, that was. That was crazy, right? It was was a surprise. Yeah. Well, it seemed like a freak accident, right? Like some, I don't know. Is that a, you know, I think the only person I've ever met in years of mountain biking that's broken their knee by hitting it on something. Yeah. The uh, Cannondale lefty um, fork comes up another, what, five, six inches higher on that left side. It used to, not the the new one, but um, yeah, handlebars turned just the right way as I was sliding out around a corner and the knee came down on the lefty and just completely shattered probably because it was under tension shattered the kneecap and yeah um so you were crashing you were crashing yeah but the knee came down on the fork yeah top of the fork and right um just i think it was under a lot of tension and just yeah it broke into like three big pieces but there's a big offset and so if i wouldn't have had surgery and they said guaranteed arthritis within two or three years if you don't um try to correct that offset and so screws and wire and immobilized and right. all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And has that been fine since you've rehabbed it? And yeah, I would say that's my good knee. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it keeps changing every couple of years, which right. one's my, my good knee. Yeah. Um, but no, it's been, um, knock on wood. It's been yeah. really good. They did a really good job and it's been in good shape since. Yeah. And the IT band thing, that's, that's a pretty common thing that people, that endurance athletes, especially struggle with, right? Is this IT band friction? Yeah. I, I mean, I just read that something like 60% of, you know, knee pain is, 
attributed to IT men. I don't know if it was just lateral knee pain or right. any kind of knee pain, but it's pretty darn common. And that's yeah. a, yeah, it's an overuse injury that it's hopefully preventable and curable, treatable by, you know, for 95% of the cases. But right. um, my problem was that I did a lot of damage underneath it just by continuing to train on it and race on it. There was damage that wasn't going to go away, mainly to the bursa sac that was oh, underneath. Scar was tissue. Just, and- yeah, it was just... You know, it should be a, a real thin sleeve, almost like a plastic bag. Yeah. Um, two sheets, you know, real little bit of lubrication in, in the middle, but yeah. otherwise, uh, you know, really thin. And mine was more like a, actually, they pulled it out and showed me a picture of it. It was more like a, like a bloody snotty tissue, oh, you know, nice. it's all watered up. I gave yeah. you a little visual there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so just really inflamed and it wasn't. Yeah. So you didn't really have a choice. Because I've, I've heard like kind of mixed reviews on the procedure, right? Like as far as lengthening the IT band can be. Well, pretty successful yeah. surgery for, I mean, it's, especially if you get the bursa sac removed. I mean, okay. there's nothing to really friction against. And, you know, after you yeah. get that done and it, but it's like anything, it's a, it's a minor surgery for the surgeon, uh, but it's a major surgery for whoever's getting it done. So right. No such thing as minor surgery. Right. Yeah, and then PT following that's pretty. Is it pretty involved or is it pretty? Yeah, well, and it's it's just it's managing it long term too, right? Like sure. Even right now, this morning I did. Um, one of the big sets in the pool was with fins on, and mm-hmm. I can feel my IT band. You yeah. know, it's not a stabbing pain, but it's just kind of a dull dull ache, more like tightness around yeah. there. And so it's getting the muscles to function properly and and getting some relief or some tension off of that area from, you know, a little bit of foam rolling or whatever it takes. Right. Yeah. So you're looking at like hip and knee and ankle and making sure all that's moving well. And yeah. And it's just, you know, something that I, you know, from going through all those problems, it's, it's pretty uh, cool to be able to have some corrective exercise routines that, yeah, you know, really, anybody should be doing, um, as part of their training all the time. Um, but it's something that I have to do out of necessity sure. <laughs> or else I'll end up with some problems. Yeah. I've just started running again consistently last week. And, uh, so like two days in a row, like today and yesterday and I can feel it band tight and I'm like, Oh yeah, I just need to, I know that that's the signal. Like I need to go do some specific work on my hip, my glutes, Yeah, you know, lengthening that stuff out, make sure my ankles moving well. Um, and then it typically just, you know, subsides, but and then you're able to manage yeah, it. I think no, that's, pushing the, through that's that the goal. Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. As long as you know when to stop, <laughs> right. but that's the problem with some of the, you know, ultra events. That's, that's yeah. part of the deal. You're like, I know, feel like your IT band's going to fall off and then you keep going. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's, that's how you, and that's like stage that. one. <laughs> right. You're almost like wired that way, right. To push through that kind of stuff. Right. Right. So, it's imperative that people want to have a resource for people to run stuff by like that. Right. Like whenever you, I'm sure you have athletes have asking those kind of questions all the time, but then to be able to, you know, to have the ability to rein it in, you know, and, and know like I've got bigger things down the road, you know, than this yeah. training block and or much better to catch that stuff early and right. take care of it than yeah. to have something Cause you, faster. So typically you'll roll into from like, so you've got Xterra worlds here coming up in about 10 days and then 
you take a pretty short break and then you go right into winter triathlons, fat bike, snowshoe series stuff, right? Yeah. So how do you stay, how do you, how do you keep from like being burnt out? Like, do you have, do you have some tricks that you, you pull out? Like, um, well, yeah, yeah, sort of. I mean, I, I do a variety of sports, so that's part of it that keeps me interested, but, um, I'm a big believer in not letting yourself, um, get out of shape, um, too much. And so I think that the, the old model, um, and it does still work well for younger athletes, but you know, to having, having that transition period and having an off season and, you know, having a, a big chunk of time where you do nothing, I think, um, doesn't work that well for an older athlete. Yeah. Um, for one, it's, it's not, you know, you'd take two, three months off and a lot of people do that all. Oh, I'll hold off on the coaching till January, February. Oh, could I wait till March to start training for my, you know, half Ironman or half marathon or whatever it might be. And like, well, you could, but why wait until you're completely out of shape and you're starting from zero? Right. Let's uh, maintain a little bit of that fitness. And some of that, I think when you get above a certain age, some of that might never come back if you, um, keep starting over every time. Sure. Um, so that's, that's part of it is not starting over, but then not doing, you know, digging such a big hole with excessive large amounts of volume that I get into any kind of chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue. And, um, luckily with, with family and working, that's something I haven't had the luxury of, you know, beating myself to a pulp with, you know, 30 plus hours a week of training. I've been pretty limited. I'm more in like a 15 to 20 hour yeah. range. And so I think that's, that's been something that's been really important for my longevity is, is not, uh, um, just really overcooking myself sure. year after year, kind of keeping it pretty manageable. Yeah. And so when you come off of, you know, so I know for, historically for me coming off of a cross season, you know, and not only, cause it's not only just the racing, right. The training the intensity or the, or the duration of the actual demands of training and, and being prepared for the event. But it's also all the, uh, emotional stress, physical stress of travel. Um, and then, you know, you have this big kind of emotional build, right. For this pinnacle event, you know? So, I mean, when you come off of that event, do you have, do you feel like you have like a, a, a chemical letdown or like a, do you go through any kind of, um, depression or, or like just strangeness around the house like with, <laughs> with your wife and just like irritability. You know, yeah. Or, right. Um, only if I stop exercising. Yeah. If you just completely <laughs> shut down, you get just cranky. Yeah. Well, I guess so. I guess I, I usually don't. So yeah, I, uh, I, don't know. <laughs> I try not to have that problem, but no, yeah. I do notice if I, you know, when I have those complete days off, yeah. uh, which I think are good every once in a while, but I'm yeah. like, Oh, why am I kind of cranky edgy. right now? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. Um, so no, I think it's, it's probably a really good part of my, you know, balance and right. in general is just having some consistency there and not, I, I'll definitely have some time that'll be completely unstructured, but yeah. after the Xterra world championship, um, I think it's, you know, good to have completely unstructured time a little bit, but then I like to get back in the weight room, start to shore up my weaknesses. I usually feel towards the end of a season, um, there's a lot of imbalances that are actually getting worse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of people think of, uh, 
an athlete at their, at their pinnacle or at their top is, you know, everything's firing perfect. Everything's good, but really they're probably the most vulnerable at that time too, because they've had a whole season of, you know, reinforcing, you know, everybody's mechanics are not perfect, myself included. So, you know, how many times are you stroking the pool with, you know, a, a mechanic that's a little bit off or how many steps do you take? And, you know, if you're not showing up all those weaknesses with a really solid routine, which I'm not, uh, towards the end of that season, I'm taking care of other things, you know, getting everything firing at the highest level. And so when I come off that season, I feel like I need to kind of rebuild my body. Yeah. So it's a good time to do that and just kind of go back and just kind of start foundation. Yeah. And it's a good time to drop that volume way down and exercise consistently, but Mm -hmm. you know, that's, it's winter here and you know, it's going indoors and you don't need to do any kind of crazy high volume there. Sure. Right. Yeah. And I think you're able to rely on that lifetime of fitness, right? Like that, that engine that you've, that aerobic engine that you've built over the, you know, almost 20 years of, of training, right? So it's not all goes away. It doesn't all go away if you just stay active to a point, right? Right. It's kind of your, what you're getting at. Um, what about like, so mentally mindful practice of, you know, visualization or meditation, is that anything that you, that you do consistently? Like when you, throughout the week or throughout, like maybe just in a season or. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's valuable. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't dedicate specific time to visualization except when I get close to you know, usually that final championship race. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm doing some sauna sessions. Yeah. Um, great time for me to do some visualization, some 30 minute sessions at the end of my day where I'm going, I'm actually going in the steam room. Mm-hmm. Um, and good time for me to just think solely on, you know, running through the race and how I want everything to feel and, mm-hmm. and running through different scenarios, not just planning on a, a plan a, but a plan B plan C and right. Um, trying to get those sensations of the race in my head. Um, but I only do that for, you know, a very short amount of time where I draw most of my mental strength from is how I feel during, um, the actual workouts that I do. I think that's, you know, you're building your, your body physically and mentally through those challenging threshold sessions or interval sessions. I think that's where, when, how you perform in those threshold blocks, those VO two max interval blocks, that's the same way that you're going to perform in the race. You know, are you, you know, are you going out hard and backing off the power? Are you failing, you know, two thirds of the way through your workout or are you pacing yourself? Well, are you finishing strong? Like that's how, how you perform in training is how you're going to perform in the race. And so every key session is a chance to physically prepare for that, but then also mentally like having a game plan. Okay. I'm going into this you know, five times eight minute threshold workout, am I going to go, you know, kill this first one and then be dead and worthless and 30% slower by my fifth one? Like, no, I'm going to, you know, approach that with a little bit of pacing with a little bit of restraint and I'm going to finish strong and I'm going to keep that consistency all the way through. And so that I can be a back half racer when I go into my races. And those are the people that are going to come out on top. It's not, you know, it's not, the finish line is not, you know, one quarter of the way into the race. <laughs> it's, right. uh, 
it's yeah. very end. you want to be in the lead at the end of the race <laughs> so that those workouts just kind of give you that momentum like being able to complete those and complete them to a point that gives you confidence going into the next workout is that i think so yeah. and that's and that's you know my yeah personal take on it and that's what works for me and there's definitely other approaches that mm-hmm. that work great and even when you when you read all the research on mental imagery and visualization like there's not one thing that works for everybody and right. you got to use a couple different strategies and figure yeah. out what works for you but i know for me um it's you know staying focused and challenging myself appropriately in those workouts but then like gaining some strength from completing those the right way and and i don't always complete them the right way and i don't always you know race the way that i want to race sure. either and it's for me it's been it took me a long time before i could focus for a whole race yeah even coming from a running background i didn't feel like i could focus for a 10k till i was in my early 20s yeah you know so to focus for two and a half three hours you know took a little bit longer right where well, you're not just like at some point just going through the motions during the yeah. race you're, you're exactly where conscious and aware of everything yeah and the on. typical runner thing is you get out with that lead group and everybody's in that lead group that's a contender and you see how long you can hang there and um there's a lot more to learn you know sure. than, and anybody can do that that's you know close to that level but then how do you get to that level where you know you're breaking away from the pack you're negative splitting you're you're not just winning a race but you're winning a race by one or two minutes you know like right. that's that's been a long progression for yeah me. yeah because that's kind of your like because i think your mountain bike or your bike leg of your uh triathlon is such a strong strong point right like you you end up maybe having to make up some ground coming out of the water right and then but your your run is i would say as strong you know as um as your bike leg so then you, a lot of times you're even though you're giving up some time at the front end you know you're able to you're winning by pretty good amount of time like you're two minutes three minutes in the lead sometimes ideally <laughs> yeah ideally <laughs> but not every time but um but yeah i think you're right i think there's something to be learned from um pushing yourself beyond that comfort zone of just being in that front group yeah and and attacking and, and trying to stay off the front yeah right? yeah and so for me like you know phase one was like you know, just in small races, we're talking about, you know, getting yeah. to where I could win a, just a local race. I could win a race, but I couldn't, uh, I, I didn't, I couldn't get the most out of myself. Yeah. And so then to the point, you know, where could I win a local race by a minute or two minutes? And that's a little bit different mindset. And then it's like, okay, you're really pushing your, your own limits. The whole you're time. not just relying on competitiveness to get you through. You're not just sitting and kicking or what, you know, you're, yeah. you're going out at the intensity that you think you can maintain and you're finishing with as little left in the tank as possible. And, right. and that's what, for my sport of Xterra, especially since I'm coming out of the water behind, I have to race the whole thing more like a time trial. It's not a strategic, you know, thing where you're hanging with the leaders and saving yourself for the run. It's you now I'm on the bike course and now I'm, you know, steady high threshold or depending on the course or higher, um, and all the way through, right? right. There's, 
yeah, no, you're no not choice. Conservative, yeah. you're yeah. you're pushing the the boundaries the whole time. Well, cool, man. Well, thanks for thanks for taking the time and and stopping in. Um, I definitely want to have you back on whenever you can. Yeah, uh, tell great. us more about the eco challenge. I really <laughs> want to hear about how that went. And um, would you? One question on that: Would you? So I know you can't tell us much about it, but would you do it again? <laughs> um, you know, it was an amazing experience and I would definitely consider it yeah. again, um, just because it was such an amazing event. Yeah. Um, but things would have to align and, you know, circumstances would have to be right. Sure. <laughs> yeah. And I know sometimes it's always, when they have a hard, hard effort like that, it's always, um, maybe not a, a true sense of, would you do it again when you're so close to the event? Like it's, it's, yeah. you know, like somebody <laughs> asked me if I was going to do the DK again, the XL and I said, no way. But now we're, yeah. getting, you know, we're far enough away <laughs> where it's like, huh, maybe I would try something. Maybe not that, but maybe something similar. So hopefully my yeah, wife, yeah, my wife never won't say listen never. to this and <laughs> hopefully she won't hear it. <laughs> um, so where can people find you? Like if your people are trying to seek you out either on social media or, website or yeah i mean all my social media handles are josiah midaw i mean so there's not not too many people have uh, <laughs> poached that name from me luckily <laughs> but um but otherwise my coaching business is midawcoaching.com cool um so you can find me there or through facebook instagram twitter and that's with your brother right like you guys coach together yeah my brother yarrow um yeah. down in florida cool yeah, we've had the same same business we've been co-owners for over a decade now wow yeah. that's cool to be working with with your brother you guys are close yeah it's been great and it's good to have somebody to bounce things off sure and we talk every week usually multiple times a week so yeah cool yeah, awesome it's fun well um great luck or good you know whenever you got xterra coming up world's coming up in 10 days so when you when do you leave to go out there how long heading out monday so i'll have okay. about six days out front good cool man yeah well, it should be fun looking forward to it yeah thanks for having me on yeah absolutely all right.